Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. Open our ears to your word. From Hebrews chapter 1. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I've begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. And thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest, and they all will become old as a garment, and as a mantle thou wilt roll them up. As a garment they will all also be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Can we pray together? Father, we do stand amazed in your presence and your grace toward us is always enough. And I just pray that, Lord, you would speak by your spirit through Pastor Chris into my life, into my family's life, into our lives. And Lord, that we, we have so much to share with the people around us who are looking for hope and for a relationship and for meaning. And Lord, I just thank you for this time to behold your beauty and your holiness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Eric. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And if you haven't figured out a theme from the worship, it's the idea that Jesus is preeminent. He's superior, he's better, he's greater than anything else this life can put before us. And the, the goal of our time throughout the book of Hebrews is to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and that God has spoken through his Son, Jesus, to us. We finished last week with this verse in um, Colossians 1, verse 16. But something else interesting is in here because many times we kind of, as we're reading the scripture, we kind of hurdle over little things or little hints into 
depth and deeper meanings in those things. So let's look at verse 16 again. For by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. And then he described some of these things that are invisibles, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Did you realize that there is an invisible realm, a spiritual realm among us that interacts with the world that we live in? That there is angels, there are demons, there are these things that are in the world that are unseen but affect our lives. Is Jesus still greater than those things? That's what we're going to dive into today. And when you read these verses about thrones and dominions and rulers and authority, um, it should echo kind of in the back of your mind Ephesians 6.10 through 18, which talks about the armor of God. But at the very beginning it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then it reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this world, that there is, a, there is someone who is rooting against us in the world. And if we're not aware of it, he's going to begin to divide us as the body of Christ, as a home. All of those are going to be divided if we let the enemy slither his way into our life. But Jesus is better. He struck his heel, but Jesus crushed his head. So do we believe that Jesus is better? That's what we're going to dive into. That's what we're going to jump into Throughout this time, let's go back. I want to rewind a little bit to uh, Luke chapter 24. Jesus has just walked the road to Emmaus. He's risen from the grave. He's given us victory through Christ. And he's just walked. He's Cleopas who's walking on the road to Emmaus. He's like, wait, maybe that was Jesus, right? And they run back and tell the disciples about it. And then Jesus shows up in verse 36. And it says, and they were talking about these things, right? These things that happen on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. Jesus wasn't there. He showed up. Now we would all be startled by that. And the disciples were like, whoa, what's that? They thought they were seeing a spirit. They thought something from the invisible realm had become visible. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this to them, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, it's such an interesting phrase, isn't it? They disbelieved for joy. Like, we want to believe. Help with our unbelief. Like, they wanted to believe it's really Jesus there. But he said, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them because ghosts don't eat food. Right? I mean, I've seen, I've seen Casper. Right? I know that it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Right? But he said, hey, I'm physical. Here, touch me. I'm going to eat food. I'm going to show you that I am risen from the grave. It's not just an apparition. It's not just a, a phantom. It's something that's real. It's a, it has a reality to them. And he took it and he ate it. And while he said this to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he echoes what's happening to us in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we're given the words of the prophet. That was verse 1. Long ago and in many ways, God spoke through the prophet. So we're given this idea that we can use the words of the prophets, but now God has spoken through his son. And we see the exact wording here as well. Jesus is saying, 
I remember when I was with you, I shared these things with you. What did he share with them? He shared with them the words of the Old Testament. Now, something interesting happens here because in our Old Testament, it's divided into four parts, right? We, we have the, the Torah or the law, and then we have this historical section, which talks about all the history of Israel, and then we have the wisdom literature, right? The Psalms and the Proverbs and all those things, and then we have the prophets, the three big guys and the 12 little guys, and they're all writing about their words. But in the Jewish times, in the Tanakh, they only had three parts. Did you realize, have you ever heard the term Tanakh? Right, that means the Old Testament. And the word Tanakh is actually an acronym. Right? It's an acronym sort of like you've heard of the word radar. Right? That's, that, that's an acronym. Or SCUBA, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. That, that's what SCUBA means, but it's now just become a regular word. Well, Tanakh has become a regular word, and it's an acronym. The T stands for Torah, which is the law. Right? And then we have um, the Nevi'im, right? and I'm sure I'm not saying that exactly right, but that is the prophets, another scroll. Remember, they were written on scrolls, not in books. So you had one scroll, which was the Torah, one which was the Nevi'im, which was the, the prophets, and then you had the Ketavim, which was the writings, Psalms, Proverbs, the wisdom, but then added some things to it as well. Right? So they had three parts. So you see Jesus referencing the Old Testament, the Tanakh, in these three verses, it says, they wrote about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he says this in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This should be our prayer all the time. Lord, open our minds to understand the scripture, especially as we walk through Hebrews. There's so much in there, so much meaning. I'm going to quote so many scriptures to you today. It's going to be just, woo, there's stuff flying around everywhere. All right, that's why you need to grab one of those books so you can look it up later because I'm on 1.1 speed today. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm, we're going. There are a lot of words in today's sermon because we've got to talk about how good God is. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This is all the stuff in the Tanakh. The resurrection. He's risen on the third day. What he was going to accomplish is all written in the Old Testament for us. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we know the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he's going to help give them understanding to the scriptures as we go. Okay, so we're in Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to dive in. We're given the words of the prophet. We're going to prove that Jesus is son of God. And here's the first step. Jesus is greater. He's superior to the angels. Look what it says in verse 4. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And if you remember, last week we had this sevenfold description of Jesus, remember? He was the heir of all things. He was the creator of the world. He was the radiance of the glory of God, right? the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the, word, the world by the power of his word. Right? And then he, after purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Those, that sevenfold description is now going to be mirrored in some ways inside of the next. I don't know if you noticed as Eric was reading the scripture that there were seven quotes from the Old Testament about Jesus in this next section. Right? Then these seven quotes are going to give us sort of an idea of how we know that Jesus is superior to the angels. 
So if we're going to start somewhere, we're going to start with the angels. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, why angels? That seems like kind of a, why not with Moses, the Torah? In the, why not, why is he starting here with angels? Well, some of that is because we don't really understand angels and have the same viewpoint on angels that they do in this time. Now, the word angel is the word malak from, in the Hebrew, which means messenger, right? And the word angel comes from angelos, which is the Greek rendering of messenger force. Like you've heard of Los Angeles, the city of angels, right? This is this idea of the, the word angel mean messenger. Now, when we talk about messengers, we talk about angels, we have a lot of different types of angels, right? Here's a list for you of different types of angels that we see in Scripture. I wrote them down here so I could go quick. Faithful and fallen, right? We have those two-thirds that remain with Christ in his presence, but we have a third that fell with Satan, that this multitude that is now all around us wreaking havoc on our world. We have cherubim, right? We see, remember the cherubim in Genesis? Well, after, after the fall, they put a cherubim with a flaming sword to protect them so they couldn't go back into the Garden of Eden. Or remember the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat in Exodus 25, where they were supposed to put the cherubim with the wings extended on the mercy seat, right? We're gonna, we're gonna see that come back in Hebrews chapter nine as well. Or even Ezekiel 10 talks about the cherubim flying around in the throne room, right? We have these things called living creatures, which are wild when you start reading about those, of those things in Revelation, the ones that are screaming out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, right? They're, they're proclaiming the glory of the Lord. We have seraphim. We see these in um, Isaiah chapter 6. This is the one that took the tongs and, and had six wings, two to cover their face and two to cover their feet and two to fly with and, and took the, the, the coal and put on Isaiah's lips and made them clean, took away his iniquity. Then we have this Ophaim, which is this weird-looking, interlocking wheels full of eyeballs. Yeah, I'm putting pictures up there, okay? But we have archangels that we know from Scripture. We have thrones, dominions, authority, and powers. We just read about that in Colossians chapter 1 and in Ephesians 6. These are all descriptions of sort of a hierarchy of the angelic realm, the thrones and the rulers and authorities, that there's some sort of ranking system inside of there. We see this divine council mentioned, um, this word Elohim's plural, like where we get the little g gods from. We see that mentioned in Psalm 82, or even like the morning stars or sons of God, Ben Elohim, that we see um, when Job is talking to God in Job 38. We have all these different types. I didn't see baby wearing a diaper with wings. I didn't see beautiful person with flowing hair. Every time that an angel shows up, the reaction is like, oh, I'm so glad you showed up. It's fear. They fall on their face like a dead man. Every time that God shows up in his glory and his power, man can't handle it. These are the messengers that come from God. And we actually know four names of the messengers from God, right? Do you know some of them? Michael. Right? Oh, yeah. Michael, Daniel chapter 10, he comes in and like crushes the king of Persia and sets someone loose. That's a cool story. You should read that sometime. Right? We know Gabriel. He shows up every Christmas, right, with Zechariah and with Mary. And he's the one proclaiming the coming of Jesus, right? We also know one that's not so good, right? Lucifer, our enemy, the devil, right? We also know another one, Apollyon, mentioned in the book of Revelation, the one who has the keys to the abyss, the destroyer. That's mentioned there as well. And there's a lot of other theories about names. These are the only four names that we have, unless you were to think 
Maybe some of the false gods like Moloch and Ishtar being worshipped in the Old Testament, they could be angels as well. That's kind of a side trip on a whole other sermon in another way, right? How many of you ever heard another one? Have you heard the name Raphael? Not the Ninja Turtle. The Raphael, like the angel, right? So some people believe that Raphael is a name because it actually comes from inside of the Catholic Bible. They have the book of Tobit, and it's mentioned in there, but it's not mentioned in our set of the scripture. So it's interesting, but it's not something that I would put inside of what we know about angels. But what's interesting about this topic is not really their names or not even their types, even though it's kind of interesting to think about these things that are invisible, what they would look like in the visible. But what's interesting is the way that the Hebrew people viewed angels, right? Turn to Acts chapter 7, right? If you turn to Acts chapter 7, you have this incredible story of Stephen, right? He's fixing to be killed because of his faith. He was faithfully chosen to serve, and now he's going to be killed. And he gives this incredible sermon, much better than anything I'll ever say. You should go read that sermon. Um, And he gives this incredible sermon just laying out all the things from the Old Testament because it tends to be a theme that Jesus has proven from the things in the Old Testament. And he gives this incredible thing. And what happens in in chapter 7, verse 53, I think it is, 52 and 53, it says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. So he's saying the prophets announced the coming of Jesus, which is our premise for Hebrews, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. Woo! That's pretty nice. Like, imagine if I'm just like, Okay, Sierra, let's talk about your sin right in front of everybody. See, you don't have any sin. You're, you're awesome. But imagine if I just like started going around in circles talking about, yeah, you're a murderer. You're the enemy. Woo. He just calls him out. And then he says this in verse 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So in the Hebrew mindset, the angels delivered the law to Moses. In fact, in a lot of Hebrew circles, it was even more than that. If you go to another extra biblical um, text, which kind of gives you the idea of the Hebrews called Jubilees. And in the Jubilees, it actually says that the angel wrote down the Torah for Moses. So there was a faction of the Hebrew people that believed that the angels were the ones who wrote the word. Now listen, John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We know the actual word, not just the messenger of the word, right? Now, and this happens to us a lot. We have a tendency to worship the messenger instead of the one who sent the message, or we tend to worship the creation instead of the creator, instead of giving glory to God for all good things, because every good and perfect gift comes from above. Instead of doing that, we tend to worship the thing that's visible, that's right in front of us. So the Hebrew people have a tendency to worship angels. And so that's where this author is going to start to say that Jesus is superior to the angels. So then let's go back to verse four. He gives us two reasons in our chapter that he is better. Here's the first one. Having become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So here's the first reason. Jesus's name is better. At the name of Jesus, that is better than any other angel's name. Michael, Gabriel, none of those names even compare to the name of Jesus. And we know this from Ephesians chapter 1, right, verse 20. It talks about Jesus' name and how he was exalted. It says, and that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Remember that right hand? It is finished. That's going to come up a lot. 
And then it says, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? The rule, authority, powers. What is that talking about? That Jesus has been exalted above all things in creation, even the invisible, even the angelic, that Jesus is greater. He's far higher than all of those things. And it gives you that quote there. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? If you go a little earlier in that verse, it says, so that all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth will know that every knee will bow. That all of creation will be subjected to the name of Jesus. But what's so interesting about that is we can't use any of that evidence because that's all in the New Testament. We have to use the Old Testament to show that Jesus' name is better. So this is what our author does here in verse 5. And we're going to start with these quotes from the Old Testament that point to Jesus being better. All right, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Jesus' name is better because he's been given the name of son. He's the heir of all things. Remember our sevenfold description? So because God calls him his son, that is better. And he quotes out of Psalm 2. That should have felt a little bit familiar if you were here last week. Because last week we talked about him being the heir, and we quoted Psalm 2.8, how he was going to give the nations as an inheritance. And then we said, let's go back and read the context of that verse. And in verse 7, we mentioned, who is this only begotten son? Well, that's, that's Jesus, right? So we see that Jesus is better because he's not only just a creation, but he's actually the son, the heir of all things. And this is that quote out of Psalm chapter 2. Then, or again, he says, And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So Psalm 89, this is Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27. He's quoting directly from this psalm to point to Jesus. Not only is the son, but I'm going to be a father to him. right? And we get to be adopted as his sons into that as well. So Jesus' name is better because he is called the Son of God. Right? Here's this next part. He says, and again, verse 6, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So here's the second reason Jesus' name is better, because all the angels will worship him. And the lesser always worship the greater. Right? So the angels are lesser because they're going to worship the name of Jesus. A couple places this shows up in the Old Testament. One is Job 38. All right, if you go to Job 38, remember Job has had a rough life. Right, Job has had things just taken away from him, and he has some friends who aren't really leading him towards the Lord. They're a little critical, and Job begins to question God, and then God shows up and gives him an answer in chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. And I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were the bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There's our two references to angels. What are they doing in this passage? They're shouting for joy. 
They're worshiping. What is Jesus doing in this passage? He's creating the world. He is the creator of all things. He upholds them by the power of his word, and the angels worship him. Right? There's another place um, in the Psalms that really just points out to that in Psalm um, 97. Right? It kind of begins to get that quote as well. Let's turn there. Psalm 97. And let's look at this, this quote that is there. Okay, verse 6. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of image are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. So he's saying, we worship the Lord. And he says, worship all you gods. And he gives this little phrase, gods, right? This phrase, little gods, Elohim's plural, is actually the same word used in Psalm chapter 8, talking about angels, talking about heavenly beings. Let's go back. So I told you we're going to flip all over. Let's go back to Psalm 8. And let's see if this psalm is really talking about Jesus. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Remember that song? It was such a good song back then. That you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. But I, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have put in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. That Jesus became human to die for us, but then was crowned with glory when he raised from the dead. That Jesus is better. And so not only is his name better, but the angels even worship him. Okay, so then not only is his name better, this is the first kind of logic to this idea, but the second logic is that Jesus' purpose is even better. Let's go back to Hebrews and look at this comparison in verses 7 through 9. And we're going to see this description of his purpose here. Look at verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So he's quoting from Psalm 104, and he's describing the Lord, the majesty on high, and how the angels are his servants that work underneath of him. But, verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O Lord, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And he's quoting out of Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. He's saying that you have the oil of gladness upon you. And what's interesting about this Psalm 45 is that in verse 8, the verse right after the one that he's quoting, it says, your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. That, do you remember the tabernacle? Do you remember the anointing oil? It was made of myrrh and aloe and cassia. That This was the anointing oil that would be put on the tabernacle, on the, the lampstand and the altar of incense, but it also was what was given to Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh. It points to Jesus being the anointed one. 
the one that was to come. How many of us want to have some oil of gladness in our life? Well, worship Jesus because he's better. That's what we're pointing to in all these verses, right? Verse 10 reinforces that. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. That Jesus is eternal. And this is Psalm 102 that he's quoting out of there. And verse 13, the last quote of this section. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is the idea of it is finished, that he is now sat before God at his right hand to prove that it is done. Let's go back one more time into Psalm, Psalm 110. That's where this um, quote comes from. Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of of Melchizedek. And when I read these verses this week, like three thoughts jumped to mind. First of all, what is the womb of the morning? I mean, that's just interesting. I don't know if it's like right before the sun rises, but I just think Melchizedek, scepter, womb of the morning all together in one song. Like that's, that's some epic writing, right? But the second thing that came to mind was all of these quotes from Hebrews 1 are from David, all of them from the Psalms. And when you think of labeling prophets from the Old Testament, is David considered a prophet? Like we know he's the king, right? That in the kingly line of David, the Messiah was going to come. But is David considered a prophet? Because this author is using a bunch of quotes from him. And then I remember that I've heard this quote about him sitting at his right hand in a footstool before. And it was actually in Acts chapter 2. Let's turn there. Um, Acts chapter 2. Because we not only had this incredible speech by Stephen, but we have Peter at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has just come down upon him, and now Peter is giving this epic sermon to everybody that is there to hear in their own language and this incredible power display through the Spirit. And it says this in verse 29 that kind of answers some of the questions that came out of Psalm 110 for me. And it says this in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet. So here Peter, through the Holy Spirit, is saying that David was a prophet. So the Psalms are things we can use to prove that Jesus is better. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ And that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of what we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, 
But he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. There's that quote out of 110. Psalm 110. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And there's our purpose of Hebrews again. Let all the house of Israel, let all the Hebrews know that Jesus is Lord, whom you crucified. And they heard it, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then when we hear that Jesus is better, what is our response to that? When we sin against the Lord and we, we find out, it's revealed to us, what do we do? We turn and repent. We run back to him to see the grace and forgiveness of Christ. So we see that Jesus is better than the angels because his name is better. No one is worthy of praise except for Jesus. What does that look like in your life? Like if I were to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is better? I mean, we sang a song about it, right? Do you believe that Jesus is better? Would you say yes? You know that, but do you believe that? That means that when you get bills and your bank account doesn't have enough money to cover the bills, do you still believe that Jesus is better? When, when the things in your life seem to crumble before you and you have no idea how you're going to pick it up and put it back together, Jesus is better. When that bonus is a lot bigger than you expect it to be and you have more money than you ever had in your entire life, is Jesus still better? Is he better than that steak, that cheesecake? I mean, is he better? Is he better? And then if he's better, how do we live our life that way? Do you realize you don't have to stress? You don't have to have anxiety. You don't have to have fear. Do you believe that? Because Jesus is better. Like, oh, you don't know my situation. I don't need to know your situation. Jesus is better than everything. His name is greater than any problem or any blessing. All good and perfect gifts come from above. He's better. What if we lived our life that way? What if we truly put our hope fully in him? That's what 1 Peter says. Be sober-minded and put your hope fully in Jesus Christ. So we're going to prove through the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better Let's live that way as well. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are better than the angels. Lord, that if tonight we had a vision and angels showed up in our room and, and tried to tell us something against your word, Lord, that we would not believe it because Jesus is better. Lord, we trust in you and we trust in your word. Help us, Lord, to live in the confidence and the freedom of Jesus Christ. Lord, for many in this room, they struggle with fear and anxiety and stress, Lord, and, and panic takes a grip in their life, Lord. Set us free, for in you there is freedom. We are free indeed. So, Lord, help us to walk in that freedom this week because we believe that you are better. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Chad. Hey, man. Hey, man. What you doing up here? Uh, you know, just working. Oh, doing, okay. okay. Doing some stuff. No. Hey, I need, to I need to tell you something. Yeah. I, in uh, front of everybody? In front of everybody. Okay. Yeah. I really miss my past group. I feel like it's been like, I don't know, four weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's, yeah it feels like You that. should meet with them. You know what? I am. Yeah. I am. I think they should, too. Y'all yeah. want to meet with your past groups again? You miss them? 
All right, all right. Well, starting this week, all past groups are back together, back in action. In fact, if, uh, if you're in a past group and, and you're doing the sermon series, you got workbooks in the back for you. Uh, so make sure you grab some of those. That and means kids' ministry is back on Tuesday. Kids' Woo! ministry, absolutely. So kids' ministry, refuge, we're already back. We, 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 had, a, we had a party last week. So um, we're back. Kids' ministry, Tuesday night, 645 to 9. Um, go to Path Group. Plug in yeah, and What's enjoy. going on next Sunday? Next Sunday, we have an opportunity called Discover Class. If you want to know more about our church, uh, why we do the things we do, how we do them, what it looks like behind the scenes of everything, next week during third service is Discover Class. And you have an opportunity to learn more about what it means to become a member, be a part of the family um, at Fellowship Church. So that's next week, the 22nd, during third service. And we're going to eat some good food as well, aren't we? Yeah. Yes, we are. Some hamburgers? Well, speaking of hamburgers... Who are, who, who's here going to Honduras during uh, spring break? Raise your hand if you're going to Honduras spring break. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to. And uh, next Sunday is our hamburger fundraiser day. So it's going to be after second and third services. And so you can take part in that by grabbing a burger and some chips and whatever and uh, giving down a donation for our Honduras trip, which will be March 12th through 19 during spring break. So we're looking forward uh, for that. So a lot, of, a lot of great things coming up. Yeah. And I know today was a lot of scripture. I mean, a lot of diving back in the book of Psalms. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to pay attention, right? So next week, we're taking a little break to, to get very practical with the way that we need to live our life as well. And so we want to leave you with a verse real quick. And Rudy has an announcement to make before we leave with a verse. Sorry. They didn't know I was coming up here. There is a funeral going on behind us, and they are just now lining up to leave. So that means for you guys that parked behind here, you may have to sit there for a while in your car until it's completely gone. So I just wanted to give you a heads up, especially those of you who parked along this side that are against these cones. You are now blocked in by the funeral procession. So uh, just be patient with us as we're you trying to do it. You kid. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm serve. That'd be great. Um, but let, let, we want to leave you with this verse. This is out of Proverbs 4. Um, starting with verse 20, it says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them, we read a lot of scripture, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So let's hide the word of God in our heart this week, right? You guys are dismissed unless you're in the funeral home. You're not that dismissed. <laughs>